Hello, and welcome to Back into Thrones. I'm Joseph. And I'm Michael. Today we're going to be talking about the third episode of House of the Dragon, titled the second of his name. I keep forgetting the name of the episode. I was about to, I thought you were about to say the Rogue Prince. I know, I keep forgetting it too. Every time, like, can I get it? Can I get it this time? So what do you think of the title? I mean, the title's fine. Okay. It was, it was a good title, especially since, like, it very much had a theme with the episode, like, with Aegon being the second of his name if he took the throne, and it also being his second name day. Yeah, because I know you had a problem with the episode, the Rogue Prince title, and I had to convince you why it was a good title. Yeah, so... I was wondering if I had to get back into battle. I mean, I should have expected that we weren't going to get a lot of Aegon, but I, it that felt the theme of the episode, the idea of trying to get him in power, and, you know, it, and it being his second birthday just felt right. I understood why it was called that. But yeah, so, spoiler warning. Yes, spoiler warning for everything Game of Thrones related, whether it's the books, A Song of Ice and Fire from books 1... Two, potentially seven, though at this point five. Yeah. With sample chapters for book six. For the show Game of Thrones seasons one through eight. For the book Fire and Blood, which this series is based off of. And the show itself, House of the Dragon. Though, potential spoilers for future episodes that we might make predictions for. Not, not intentionally. We're not going to talk about the future. We're going to very much stick into the margin of this. If anything, if we ever talk about Fire and Blood, it's in context of what we happened in this episode and previous events. If we do. With that... Are you ready, Joseph? Ready as ever. Let's get back into House of the Dragon. Episode Recap Our episode opens with the war in the Stepstones not going well for Corlys Velaryon or Daemon Targaryen, despite the dragons because the Triarchy has very good tactics in resisting that. In King's Landing, Tylan Lannister, a new master of ships, is advising Viserys to invade and help, but Viserys is still reluctant with the help of Otto Hightower whispering in his ear. Instead, he goes on a hunt, where the reluctant Rhaenyra is forced to go against her will. By Alicent, who basically orders her to go. Yeah. Essentially. Once there, she sees that she's really being seen as a bargaining chip for marriage, and how she likely is not going to be heir anymore. So she runs off because she's angry, and she goes with Kristen Cole, where while hunting in the woods, she kills a boar. Meanwhile, with Viserys, he is getting pestered with all these marriage claims. First from Tywin Lannister to marry Rhaenyra, and he's assuming she won't be queen. So she'll be like, oh, we can can ally our houses. Otto Hightower suggests his grandson, Prince Aegon, who is Rhaenyra's brother and is two at this point. And then he turns to Lara Strong, who gives probably the best option, Laenor Valarian, because that would seal the the rift that was between Targaryen and Valarian, and it just It's a perfect match. They're the same age. They have a lot going for them. Viserys is not happy to be pestered with these marriages while hunting, and he gets very drunk and horribly kills a stag that is supposed to be a symbol of the, his son Aegon, although it's not the white heart they were looking for. Rhaenyra is the one who finds this white heart that was supposed to be the symbol of Aegon and everything, and she lets it go, but returns with the boar all bloodied up. They go back to King's Landing, where her and Viserys have a very heart-to-heart conversation about her status as his heir and her marriage. Yes. Before that, though, Otto Hightower was convincing Alicent to manipulate Viserys to name her son heir, and instead we see Alicent convince him to send aid to her, his brother Daemon in the Stepstones. Who is not very pleased to hear this. He He's just a little upset. Yeah, he shoots the messenger, And then decides to go on a suicide mission, where he comes out of this alive, though very clearly by luck. And with the help of a dragon sea smoke after drawing out the Triarchy to fight personally. And all this ends with a victory for the, I guess, the Valarian fleet. The Valarians, Daemon. Yeah, not the Targaryens, but... And the death of Kragus Drehar. Episode rating. Getting right into it, I give this episode a 9.8. Good way of doing suspense, Michael. I, I just wanted to get it out of the way. 9.8, 9.8, and my reason for this is, is because it's a perfect episode, except for one nitpick that I have, which is basically the last 10 seconds being that we didn't see Damon kill the crab feeder. Though I do, the, the reason I don't take too much of it is because I do, I understand why they did it, and I kind of see the point. I just kind of wish we saw it. Okay, and I actually gave this one a 10 out of 10 again. I really hope this isn't me being biased. This is just a genuine fact. But then again, this isn't our official rating Our official rating will come years later when we do this again. Yeah, exactly. This just initial, we just saw it reaction. Yeah. And like, even though this is a 9.8, 
this is my favorite episode of the first three. It's just that one little nitpick. It, it is really terrific, honestly. I can't think... Yeah. I only have one complaint as you did, and it was a nitpick. But I have one additional one, which is that Damon was holding the hand of Kragas Dreyhart when he was dragging it out, and he had grayscale. Yeah. Though, later I will explain why I didn't think that was too much of a big deal, but then again, I'm also going to explain why it might be, and I'm very confused. Yeah. So I, I didn't take any points off for that, because I think it's minor compared to everything else, and I nitpicked the last episode too, I think even more. Yeah. So I didn't take any points off for that one either. I understand, and I I agree, and we will get into our reasoning with that stuff, but this episode really did feel like a Game of Thrones episode, like, really did, like... Like, we got the political maneuvering, we got the finery. It actually felt more like Game of Thrones in a way. It, it felt well, yeah. more like Game of Thrones than the later seasons. It yeah. felt like seasons one through four. I mean, every episode has so far. And I think something like, like it really got the culture and, like, the court finery that I feel that I feel like George loves in medieval times. Like, you know, we have all, like, the ladies talking and we, like, it felt like I was in an actual court, whereas I feel like... Game of Thrones was more lacking in there. Yeah, Not that it was a bad thing. I don't thing. think they've ever had a scene where all the ladies were just talking. I think there was that scene between Marjorie and Cersei in season five, but that's not the same thing. Exactly. So, Though I do like that stuff. Yeah, and we also got like, really good action sequences, which is only going to get better because with the way the direction of the story is going. Yeah. So very much 9.8 just for that little nitpick. Yeah, and I also have to say that I know this episode did make me think of the episode three in Game of Thrones, I think it was called Lord Snow. Yeah. And in that one, I took points off because the direction, I didn't like how it was edited. Yeah, it was very bizarrely edited. I When I was watching it, I thought that was what this episode was going to be because we knew that the battle was going to happen. And as the episode was progressing, there was no intercutting. I thought, oh no, they're going to do the same thing where half the episode's about this and the other half is about that. And I was very nervous. But I think... They kind of did do that, where they mainly focus on Damon in the end. But the thing that was really good about this, and why I didn't take points off here, where I did for Lord Snow, was that the transition was just so much better. It wasn't as if... there I mean, there was a transition. There was none really in that episode. And it was, it was very much so like centered on like sandwiching the episode, in a way. Like, it starts with Damon, it ends with Damon, everything between like Rhaenyra and Viserys and Alicent. And it, you're right, transition, where they're talking about through the episode, and then at the very end, it connects them so yeah uh, good ratings yeah very ha- good there's nothing lower than an what would you rate episode one actually i gave one a 10 in the last episode a nine there's nothing below a nine yet <laughs> yeah nothing below that episode overview this episode review is actually a lot easier to do because this one focuses on specific characters a lot and the ones that come to mind for me are rhaenyra Viserys, Alicent, and Damon. It's very easy to divide it up. Yeah, of course we have Otto Hightower, the Lannisters, the Valarians that are in this as well, but I think those are the four central characters. And really then there's only really three central. What do you mean? Well, Alicent's in this less than the other ones we said. Definitely. So there's less to say about her, but definitely still something to talk about. And I think these characters also intertwine with each other, so... Our, our conversation may lead us to talk about both of them. Like, for instance, right now, we're going to talk about Rhaenyra, but it also starts with Alicent. Yeah, because when we first see Rhaenyra, actually, I got this from the Game of Thrones podcast that is on HBO. I noticed, well, I didn't notice, they noticed that we see Rhaenyra in the Weirwood studying and how that's a direct uh, parallel to the opening with, well, not the opening, but one of the first things we see with Rhaenyra in episode one, where there she's laid back and not caring. With Allison, and this time she's divided from Allison, and now she's more focused on her studies. It's a very character progression. In a way, I would say it's like she, she's learning how to like become like a pop, like a queen. But there's other ways in this episode you see that she hasn't, and we'll, we will get into that. Allison kind of comes over and kind of is like being like a stepmother, like the wicked stepmother in a way. I wouldn't say wicked, but you kind of get the sense of like, who are you to do that? Clearly, Rhaenyra agrees. <laughs> Because she just dismissed the thing like, oh, I'm queen, so goodbye. I think, does Crown Princess go above Queen Consort? I think it does. If, I don't think it does. If she were a man. If she were, oh, if she were, if, if she were the pr- Crown Prince, the Prince of Dragonstone, yes, her yeah. word would probably go over yeah. Alicent's. But back to circling to that studying thing, I don't think that it was necessarily 
Rhaenyra learning to rule. I think that was more just she became more sulky, more isolated. She's alone, so what else is she... Like, it's not about that for me. Maybe it is, but for me, I read more along the lines of Rhaenyra was just sulking, stubborn, didn't want to be around anyone. Yeah, we very much get the sense of Rhaenyra at this point that she has isolated herself. As we had idea from the last episode, she ice, she she walked out of the council room and Corlys went to Damon, but who did she have? Yeah. So here we see that Kristen Cole, basically, no one's really on her side. But Alicent does seem to be on her side, even though Rhaenyra doesn't perceive it to be that way. Alicent seems to be trying to pick up the pieces that were shattered by her betrayal. Yeah, which is, honestly, as the, as that, the other podcast said, a credit to her because... It has been, like, three years at this point, and still Rainier hasn't forgiven you. Like, I, I'm i surprised she's still trying. I'm surprised she's still trying, but I 100% get why Rhaenyra is done. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't know how you come back from that. Not only are you having... Were you dating your best friend's father, but now you've married him. And you didn't tell her. And bore direct threats to Rhaenyra's claim. Yeah. Yeah. Whether whether you actually perceive it as that at that point, Allison, it's how yeah. others see it. It also gives makes me feel a little bit bad for Allison too, because like, like she does want her friend back at the end of the day. Like at the end of the day, if 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 Rhaenyra was like pushing for in the last episode, it they would have been still friends. It still would have been good. But instead, because they kept it so secret, it just falls apart. I mean, I would also say Rhaenyra isn't being as fair as I'm making it sound like, because at the same time. We know Allison does not have the ability to refuse her father's pushing for her to marry Viserys. We know that she has very bad anxiety. And I would assume Rhaenyra knew this. But I guess Rhaenyra felt, this is something that you should have come to me about. Because I thought we were very close and you didn't even think to do that. I think that's how she feels. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, people can take it as they want. Some people can see her being as like bratty as I've seen some people say. And others can say, as I do, like... I completely get it. I would be the same way. Are you kidding me? They're the same age. Yeah, I mean, she's a little stubborn, and I don't think that's a problem. I mean, even Jon Snow was stubborn and got away with it. Really stubborn at times. Yeah, and a little bit of a brat, because as we said in season one, he yeah, he, he felt things weren't entitled to him. And Rhaenyra definitely feels that because she is the heir to the throne, even though people aren't treating her as such. Yeah, and of course, the difference being that she's at the highest height that you can get that, other than the king and maybe the queen. She's not powerless enough to not go on this fe- this hunt that she doesn't want to go to. And at this hunt, we see that people are expecting her to marry, including Viserys and Jason Lannister, who thinks that it's going to be himself. <laughs> yeah, he very good actor. I very much like felt like this was a Lannister. Yeah, so Jason Lannister and Tywin Lannister are the same actor. In fact, we've seen him before in Game of Thrones as Sir Hugh of the Vale. So he's come back, and I think they, that was a great choice because he is a very good actor because if you didn't know that he was the same person, I would never have known that he was the same person. Such different characters. They, like Even though um, Tyland himself only had like one quick scene, you very much got the difference between him and his brother. Because I felt with Jason, I felt the Jamie kind of attitude where he's very arrogant, or at least the season one Jamie, where in that light and then Tywin is more Tyrion maybe Tywin where he's very intelligent he's not I would say er- I got more of like a, a little bit of a nervous thing to him too I'm not sure if I have to see another more scenes with him but I felt like he was a little like Tyrion without the confidence yeah yeah that's probably I have true. to see more well Tyrion's never had to deal with an adult king that's kind of something that I've noticed people saying is that Otto Hightower is very similar to Tywin except Tywin we never see we've never seen Tywin deal with an adult king who is sane We've never seen um, Tyrion do the same thing. They've only dealt with really children. And then I've guessed Daenerys, but Daenerys, I would count gender, probably would change that. Because again, very sexist world they live in, where Tyrion probably would be very different around a male king versus a female queen. I don't know why I said king and queen, because you get the context. Yeah, I do. And Jason himself, like, shoots his shot. He's like, he basically just outright says, like, oh yeah, when you marry me. He just expects it. And Rhaenyra's like, what? He's more bratty, too, more privileged. Yeah, he just thinks she's owed to him. Rhaenyra goes to Viserys, and they get into like, this heated argument so, over it. Yeah. And basically, she rides off. And actually, thinking of that, I want to go a little before that, before Jason enters, with the ladies of the court. Oh, I was going to do it with Allison, but I guess it fits more with Rhaenyra. I think it fits with both of them here. But I'll, I'll focus on Rhaenyra right now. If we can come back to Allison if we want to, I'm not sure if it's too much need. But we really, like, with that theme, isolation. 
she decides to kind of battle it out with the ladies. Like, they're like, I mean, and to be fair, they're dissing her family. I was going to actually say, because a lot of people were saying that Rhaenyra is a bad ruler because what she should be doing right now is winning support. And it would be smarter, right, to get that. No, but here's where I disagree, is that it is not as if she's not doing that. It's that people don't respect her enough to let her do it. So when she goes with the ladies, the ladies say they think they have the ability to diss Damon and Viserys to her face, and she'll just meekly do it. So when Rhaenyra bites back, it's, oh, how dare she, but why wouldn't you? And when, when she's around men, all they want to do is marry her. So there's no way of winning support other than through marriage, because we've talked about Jaehaerys in this podcast. We've talked about his rule. I don't think I mentioned the fact that he, but before in his Regency era, he was meeting with lords and winning their respect immediately. And I think people are making that comparison with Rhaenyra not doing that. But I think gender does play a role. Jaehaerys is a man, so he's more easily able to win them without the idea of, oh, who will you marry? And Rhaenyra does not have that capability because of her gender. So yeah. t- Jason Lannister, she can't win his respect unless she agrees to be his wife. That sucks so much. She can't win the ladies' respect because, well, she's a girl, and oh, what? Who are you? What are you actually really worth? And she basically shuts up Lady Red- Redwine. And it's oh, clutch my pearls! How dare she? But you just dissed her uncle and her father, and thought you'd get away with it. And maybe a a wiser move would have been to be like a worded different phrase. But I think that isn't Rhaenyra's character. Rhaenyra is very blunt and to the point. Kind of a little bit stance, like you can see that with her. Yeah, Arya, kind of. Yeah. And she further does no favors for herself when she rides away. It shows her being petulant, a little bit, like, skulky, and very much like someone who does what they want. Which makes people be like, well, he chose Rhaenyra because Damon was too wild. And now is proving herself to be the same way in some yeah. people's eyes. But the hunt, the, whatever happens in that ride, it goes pretty well for her in a way. Yeah, because, I mean, she goes with Kristen Cole, and they have a very heart-to-heart thing. We see very clearly that he seems to be her only friend left in court. Even though I would, like, say Allison is trying to be. Allison's trying, but Rhaenyra like, does I, not want I, that. I want to stress that more, like, Allison is trying to be, but Kristen Cole is the only outright per- you know, He's her personal bodyguard at this point. He probably knows her better than anyone else at this point. Yeah, and while they're gone, they get attacked by a boar. And I did love this because I think this was the show's way of saying, look, this is why Robert was killed. Get it? It's only a very small boar. We know the boar in the books was very big. So if it was larger than this one, I shudder to think of what Robert that was facing. Rob- I would not want to be Robert. But speaking of, Rhaenyra 1, Robert 0. Just to keep score on that one. Wow, Robert hates the Targaryens. He'd hate to be one up in his own death. <laughs> I mean, but, but to be fair, it was a smaller boar, but yeah. She and just killed... That did make me sad, though. Yeah, it, it did. I didn't like it. But she took out her rage on it, because this is very rageful. She And speaking of, she has a younger brother. You know what it made me think of? The Princess Bride with a rat. You know how yes. it keeps stabbing it, and it just goes, like, roaring in pain uh, constantly? I mean, that's a disgusting creature, but in this what? one was a pig. What was the point of that one, though? I forget. I haven't watched the movie. That movie's a masterpiece. I have to rewatch that now. It really is. Anyway, not the point. (laughs) What we're talking about is boars, not rats. But yeah, her pent-up rage, having this younger brother who some people say should be the heir, and you know, her best friend marrying her father, everyone not giving her the respect that's owed to her, because let's be real, some people say you have to win the respect, and true enough, but if she were a man, she wouldn't have to try that much. They would just give it to her. That would be the case. It's not that there's not, it's not that you you can't try, it's that Effort, it would be easier an, an easier effort on your part because it's not too much work. Where every time Renier does something, it's, well, she's a girl and now she's doing this. Like, I think the actress, Millie Alcock, talked about this in the podcast where she was saying that the trip to Dragonstone was seen as reckless by Viserys, so everyone kind of just forgot about it. So she, every time she does something, it's forget about it because she did something unruly and she's a girl. But, so it's now even and worse. I can, and like I said, can't trust enough. If she were a man, going to Dragonstone would have been very, it would have been written as, very clever, very smart, and all these things, and it would be it wouldn't be an uphill battle. But to be fair, it is an uphill battle. It's a very sexist, misogynistic world, and Rhaenyra is doing herself no favors. Circling back to the beginning of the episode, we actually see Viserys's character begin. Well, not begin. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And there we actually hear about the stepstones, which we will return to later at the end of the episode, and we see Tywin Lannister pressuring him to go, but Otto Hightower says. No, they did 
a betrayal to Viserys. Why should we help them? Lead them to their fate. And Viserys is kind of just eating, he's like for the hunt. He's more like, "Where's Rhaenyra?" Which I guess we should have mentioned is a very big theme in this episode. Where is Rhaenyra is a very big thing yeah. Viserys deals with a lot in this episode. She runs off. She's at the garden. And <laughs> to circle back to Rhaenyra, this, like, it doesn't help that he that he shouts, where's Rhaenyra? Because now the whole court knows Rhaenyra is not where she's supposed to be. Yeah, and circling back to Viserys, <laughs> a lot of circles. We're going to be very dizzy in circle, a Circle, circle. Oh my god, my head spun. <laughs> <laughs> we see him on a hunt. And we see here on this hunt that Seeds of doubt are being whispered into his ear by Otto Hightower, kind of pushing for Aegon to be named heir. With the, oh, what a lucky day it is. If you catch the White Heart, then maybe Aegon should be your heir. Blessings. And we see how this does kind of take hold in Viserys. And not even that he does waver, though he does, but seeing how other people don't see Rhaenyra as the rightful heir anymore. For example, in the Tywin Lannister scene, uh, Tywin's very much like, if I marry Rhaenyra, she's obviously not going to be queen, but, you know, the, and you're going to name Aegon Aaron. He says, what made you think I would do that? I didn't name her on a whim, which he kind of did. He, he named, Yeah, he admits he did do exactly that. He did it. He did it because he felt bad about the way he killed Emma and how he basically killed her for a, some prophecy that didn't even turn out to be true. So, yeah, he's definitely feeling a little bit waver because now he has that son that was quote-unquote prophesized to him. Yeah, I kind of like that Otto Hightower jumped off the white heart thing he saw that as a bit too ridiculous when Viserys is harping on that in his head probably where he says yeah I'm not a prophecy guy so Aegon should just marry Rhaenyra yeah, oh I didn't even catch that it's a bit like he changed tax but um speaking of well, white hearts so I should probably mention that white hearts or white stags I guess you can say are very important in the middle ages like they were like basically like the you these are very rare if you catch them at some sign so when they're talking about this is a sign it is a, it's a, it's a big one for them. And in fact, we know that in the books of Song of Ice and Fire, it is. And I will talk about that in a little bit when we get back to Rhaenyra's ending. Okay. So, he, yeah, he gets. So Viserys now has his doubts. He kicks Tywin Lannister. Not Tywin. Jason Lannister. Well, to they the look side. very similar. I know. I keep mixing them up. I think we mix them up already in this episode. We they kick him to the side, and then Otto comes in and says, "Marry Aegon to Rhaenyra," because I mean, like. It is the Targaryen thing to do incest, but he is too. So he 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 kind of laughs like, nope, not doing that. He sees that as a bit too ridiculous. And Viserys answers all these marriage proposals by getting drunk, as you do. And that's when Lionel Strong takes his opportunity to push for what's best for the realm and not for himself which is what Viserys first accuses him of. he's like no no you flatter me with thinking I could stand a chance with this which I think is interesting because Damon said that the council are all leeches in the first episode but is Lionel Strong a leech or is he really wants what does he really want what's best for the realm yeah that's very it's a very good point I honestly don't know the answer to that I think they're pushing for the idea that he has he has his thoughts on what's best because there's no real advantage, but maybe not having a real advantage in that is an advantage. Yeah. Because it shows, oh, you're loyal, yeah. which allows his advancement. Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, and he gives really good advice with it. Like, it's the best match for so many reasons. Like, it'll you unite the branches of the family. It will. It's the greatest family in the realm right now. They're Valyrian. He's old enough. It's perfect. It's, everything's perfect. And Viserys kind of reacts like, oh, wow, it's actually... Good you advice. did good. You yeah. did good. Yeah, he kind of like pats on the back like, you did good. But then nothing really comes of that so far. And then in the fire, I think that I'll save that more for Alicent. Okay. But he, we do see that he is very much in doubt. Yeah. Where it, it, being drunk kind of reveals more of what he's actually thinking. Kind of like Cersei in season two in the Blackwater episode. Where she's drunk and she has more, let's just say, very, very clear on what she thinks about everyone. Yeah. Where Viserys is very clear on what he thinks about succession. And I'll I'll talk about that more with Allison, but because I think there's an importance that, to that. Yeah. But what's more important for, for Viserys in this idea of doubt is that the stag that they capture is not the white stag. Yeah. And before we get into like the actual stag thing, it is interesting to how this hunt works. Usually a hunt works like you chase it down, you kill it. But this is the perfect allegory for Viserys' reign. He has people go out, 
catch the stag, bring it to him, and he fails to kill it properly. He's drunk. It's an allegory for his brain. He's so pathetic, like, he can't do anything himself, and he's, and no matter what, it just isn't done right no matter what. Like, he says he will do that, can't get it right. He tries to do it himself, can't get it right. He It's just, in, it's ineffectual. Is a stag him? Maybe. I would say that if it was Ra- a Baratheon, but I just don't know, because I know... No, he's killing Baratheons now. <laughs> no, just saying, because... Because the stag does that represent Viserys? I don't, I don't think so. I think it just represents his ambitions and his like not his ambitions, his like dreams, his ambition to have dreams, and it failed here again. Okay, it's the second time it failed him. This like these like signs from the gods, you could say. Second and now time. here's my next thing, which is going on back to Rhaenyra, I guess, is that the white stag she sees, the the one they were looking for. Yeah, because it's her that finds it. You can almost argue it's silver. Is that Viserys? How is it, this episode ends with Rhaenyra and Viserys, where it's undoubted she's the heir? Hmm. I didn't really... I mean, like, I don't... I didn't think of the symbolism of the white heart so much as in, like, context to who's who. I just saw in context of, like, medieval lore, like, this yeah. is a big deal. It's almost a blessing. And it's her who finds it. Yeah. No one else. I mean, and she lets it go. Yeah, I do like that because it's very, it's very medieval and where everyone saw everything as being very prophetic. Yeah. And visions and stuff. So I liked that. And I think I liked the fact that Rhaenyra showed mercy. Yeah. Because she didn't have to kill it. There was no real reason to other than she probably would have won a claim but for a fortnight. Then it would have been the next thing. Oh, but Aegon's still around. So it wouldn't have done anything. Maybe that's what Rhaenyra came to the conclusion of, is that no matter what she does, there's not going to really be anyone who's fully on her side. Oh, I definitely see it that way. But it doesn't help that she doesn't do anything to fight back. Because, like, as others say, she should be trying to win people over to her side, and she doesn't do that here. Oh, yeah. And is that is that something that's going to change now with after this conversation with Viserys, or is it something that, like, she's going to keep doing? Because I'd like to turn now to, like, their last conversation, if that's okay with you. I just have one more thing, yeah. which is that I think Rhaenyra's realizing the fact that even if she's the heir, she's somehow still powerless against the world. Definitely. She can't shape it. And I wonder if that's something that's going to stay with her for a very long time. Maybe going into the rest of the season or if it's something that's going to change. And if maybe Rhaenyra is going to be dealing with a lot of frustration, the fact that no matter what happens in her story, she's going to have not be able to do this. Again, this is just a prediction. I don't. This isn't even about book spoilers or not this is just a theory on where the show's going and i have this has nothing to do with the book yeah this is my own idea of this episode this episode was so good with the characterization and like making really feeling the characters are there it was really good but going back to king's landing now rhaenyra comes in by the way she's wearing my favorite dress she wore that really was a very great outfit i don't know why i just was looking i was like wow it's annoying that it's only gonna be in one scene yeah i I mean it might not be but it was very good and the conversation was what the last episode what their conversation was like a, kind of a continuation of that it was kind of like what what they needed to say in this moment like last time i was felt it was left much to be desired now i felt like more gap they still need more talks but i'm noticing a trend between viserys and rainier which is that viserys ignores her because he has his own problems and rainier is isolated by everyone and then viserys has a conversation with her and then she's advanced but at a disadvantage at the same time episode one it was Emma Aaron died. Viserys is going through his own grief in that Rhaenyra's isolated. Then he names her heir, has a whole conversation with her about how that's very important. And then she named heir, but at the price of Damon now being an enemy. Yeah. And then episode two, obviously Emma Aaron Seth still leaves them isolated. They don't really have a connection anymore. And then at the end, Viserys has a conversation with her about remarrying. They get fixed and now she's back on his right side. But then he says he's marrying Allison and then everything's back to isolation. And here we see a repetition of that. Where now they're healing those wounds again. Yeah. So how long before they break off again? Yeah, because it's a very their their relationship is very on and off again with this stuff. They they do things and then I mean usually it's Viserys who makes the mistake, but who knows what will happen with that? And I feel like it was a, like they like what the conversation was kind of like you didn't marry you should have married Lane if you actually cared about the realm. Why are you telling me what I should do for the realm? And Viserys is like, good point, point taken. Like you got <laughs> yeah, but still you have to do something. You still have to make a marriage, but I'm going to leave it up to you. And you are still my heir, even though I did consider otherwise. And he tells her that. He tells her, I did think otherwise. Which I think makes it more trustworthy that he's going to keep this. Because he did admit, I did think about changing the heir. Because honesty is the best policy. Like, yes, I had my doubts about you, but I'm not going to anymore. 
So that way, so it's not like she's he's lying because he told the truth. Exactly. And so they kind of go their separate ways, and it's a matter of whether or not this is going to be permanent or if it's going to go separate. My bet, seeing the first three episodes have this, is that it's going to fall apart somewhere. Their relationship is very much, like, much to be desired. They, they have good conversations. Well, much to be desired conversations, but still working ways, and then it falls apart. So it's a test of when that will happen again. And you want to talk more about the White Heart. Yes, because this is not something that's just in the book in the show it's also very prevalent in the book or the first book a game of thrones so robert baratheon goes hunting in the woods specifically to look for the white stag that they say they caught like they found where it is by the way stag and heart like one of the same in the books sansa actually tells one of her friends jane Poole, who we probably will talk briefly about in our look on game of thrones as a whole down the way down the pipeline yes She tells her that she had a dream that Joffrey caught the white heart and that he treated it gently and was something weird that, oh, wow, he blessed and gave me the heart or something like that. And then she says, well, she actually really wished it more than she dreamt it, but it's funny. Because that's what heroes do, like the heroes of legend. They let them live. Yeah, so the white heart is something that is very prevalent as symbolic in the books. Magical, prophetic all that stuff. And then it actually gets proven true because guess what happens to the white heart in the books? Wolves find it and eat it. Yeah. The wolves eat the stag. Does that not make sense to you, Michael? That makes perfect sense. But for anyone listening, I'll try to put it out. Stags, Baratheon, wolves, Stark. Wolves eat the stag. Ned led to Robert's death. Right? Yes. Did I get it yes, right, by the way? You did. And in fact... It fits perfectly because the next thing Robert does is, oh, I heard about this big black boar. I'm going to go hunt it right now. The boar that kills him. Yes. Like I said, Rhaenyra 1, Robert 0. Yes. So if people have a problem with the white stag being here and, oh, look at it being symbolic. Oh, that's so stupid, which I can see some people thinking. Yeah. I will say this. Book stamp of approval. It's not as if this isn't something that they are thinking about or doesn't mean anything. And also medieval stamp of approval yeah we, we've said that though and of course we know that the white stag's death is foreshadowing something in the book so we know it does have a symbolic meaning so here i'm still struggling to figure out what it is i thought it might be viserys blessing rhaenyra it might just be the white the royalty divine right blessing rhaenyra. it might be something entirely what different i see it as is you're not gonna like this but i see it as rhaenyra should have killed it because had she killed it she would have dragged that thing back there and it would have been her who has the symbolism. Like, she caught the white stag. It was her who did it. It would have won her the respect that she so desperately needs. But she let it go. I mean, I love not killing animals, so I'm supportive of that. But no one has any more respect for her. Even though she did kill the boar thing, kind of. She doesn't, no one's like, I mean, I'll say this. When she came back with that dead boar, she did get a lot of looks of approval. But imagine that was a white heart. I think they look more shocked than approval. Well, the Harwin Strong was looking he, at her very did, impressed. But no one else did. Ty- Jason or Thailand. Not- <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Jason. It was because he had long hair. He didn't seem that. He seemed more shocked. I think. Yeah, per- like little princess did, like killed an animal. Yeah, exactly. So, as I think I said earlier, is that no matter what Rhaenyra does, she's not going to win. And I think that's what Rhaenyra recognized. I think that- you're right. Yeah. So that's just my opinion. I think you're absolutely right. I think I'm wrong now. Yep. I mean, like maybe she should have killed it, but like no matter what she does, it would have won her no respect. Had she killed it. Oh, she's trying to be like a man. She's too vicious. She's this. Had she, would she let it live? No respect because she didn't kill it. Exactly like that. But yeah, the White Heart, I really liked though, the White Heart. I felt it was very perfect for like where the story's going. So yeah, I that makes the episode even higher in my book. And I also like how the show is focusing more on prophecy and stuff than the and original also, like, series medieval did. culture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because especially knowing George R. Martin, that he loves that stuff. I'm still waiting for the ladies and waiting that serve the queen, but whatever. Hopefully we'll get that. That's that. Hopefully I'm crossing my fingers, but I'm not holding my breath because I'm like... Is Allison's alone. She'd be attended by ladies at all times. But then again, she was attended by ladies. They're all sitting together. Who knows? Well, she was... Ha- That's true. We'll wait. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. Speaking of Allison, we see that she's kind of grown more mature. Yeah. Less anxious. More queenly. Yes, I, the role fits her. Yeah. Not as well as Emma. The but... way she commands that singer. Like, oh, the queen commands. I mean, like... Yeah, of course, she still is 
doing her nail thing. We see that with Rhaenyra. She's very uncomfortable around Rhaenyra now. Whereas in the first two episodes, that's the only place where we wouldn't see her doing it. Yeah. And I will say this. I feel bad for Allison in a way. Like, I get Rhaenyra and I feel bad for her too because she's isolated. But I also feel bad for Allison because she definitely just wants her friend back and she still supports her as of this moment. And so I think, and she keeps trying to reach out and Rhaenyra kind of keeps rejecting it. And I can't stress enough though, I can't blame Rhaenyra either. I think Allison supports Rhaenyra because she wants Rhaenyra to like her, not because she actually wants Rhaenyra to be heir. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And but it's I, a question of like how much will it take for her to turn, you know? Yeah, I think... If Rhaenyra were playing the Game of Thrones, she would befriend Alicent. Yeah, try to be good with the Queen. I mean, they are friends. It's like, it, were. on paper, it looks like, yeah, were. On paper, it looks like it should be great. Like, they're friends, so she can be Queen, that she can be the heir, and it works perfectly. But the problem is they never told her. Maybe if Viserys in episode two was like, you can tell Rhaenyra about this, by the way, and Alicent did so, Rhaenyra would have been more like, oh, maybe it took a little bit around, but like, thank you for letting me know. Instead, she was completely blindsided by that. And that's, that's, it's more Viserys than Allison. But Allison still should have told her. She should have, but I get that Allison didn't want, know how to, or feel that she could. Yeah. And out of the four characters that we're really focusing on, though, she doesn't have the least amount to do. Mostly with, like, sitting around and, like, being pregnant. She's pregnant with her second child, by the and way. And we see that she fits the role of a, of a woman in the Middle Ages better than Rhaenyra does. Yeah, per- perfect medieval woman. Very yeah. much, very much like a part of the patriarchy. She gets along with women far better than Rhaenyra does. Yeah, I mean, and I, you can kind of sense that she's uncomfortable with the with the ladies talking about Damon and Viserys in a bad light. But she doesn't say anything because she's like, I have to make sure they like me. Whereas Rhaenyra is not afraid to shut it down. Yeah, and we see that she kind of does kind of tell them, like, be good, don't, don't piss off the princess, but she still does <laughs> yeah i also really quickly with that ladies conversation i do like how they mentioned joanna swan yes she is a character in the books who's briefly mentioned as being sold off to a pleasure house i don't know how much of a character she's going to be in the show but i can tell you that she's only briefly mentioned in fire and blood and what we know about her is that when she was sold off she ended up rising to be one of the most powerful women in the city of lice yeah so her story goes uphill from here in so, a way it's kind of like daenerys being sold off yeah it's just interesting that I don't know if she's going to be a character. She's not really a character in the books, but they might elaborate more on her or not. Maybe a little hidden Easter eggs to her. Because she's not, like I said, it's kind of like a footnote in the book and that's it. Exactly. So they might get a little footnote to that, but not important, but I thought it was pretty cool that they mentioned that. I like that a lot. Shows how much they focus on the lore. Yeah. They know it happened. And going back to the ladies, I really can't stress enough, I really like seeing those ladies in waiting. It really felt like like this was the king's court. Well, we like, don't know if those are ladies in waiting. Not ladies, sorry. Ladies of the court, I should say. Like, they're from all over the realm. They're red wines. There's like, I don't really know the house to my head, but I remember red wine specifically because they mentioned that. They said Lannister and red wine. Yeah. They're from all over the realm and they're all here. Whereas in Game of Thrones and it doesn't really get that sense that they're from all over. They felt very like... Yeah. Because here's the thing about ladies in a court in a medieval court is that if there's no queen or uh king's daughter or something like that there's no real reason to have a woman court yeah if there's no immediate royal woman like women just don't go to court at least that was the case when they're in the 1100s I want yeah say, for example for example william the conqueror's uh yeah. son and heir william the second he never married and there's no record of women ever going to his court in fact, actually, he was said to be gay, and lords would send their sons to court because of that. It was kind of a sigh of relief when when the next king married. Yeah, because now there's no place for women to serve. Because everything in court is about serving the king or the queen. If yeah. there's no queen, there's no women. Exactly. So I, did, I really did appreciate seeing that. But let's let's turn back to Allison's character, I guess, because I guess it's more important than, like, my little, like, joys. Yeah. And I think the next time we see her, well, we see her... We see her a bunch of, with the little things, and we see that conversation with Viserys by the fire. I think it's the next big prominent yeah. scene she has. Before we get there, though, I just oh. want to note one thing. Yeah. Which is that it's interesting that she's not in a place of high honor. She's just with the other women. Yeah. She should be really next to Viserys. Yeah, I found that a little... I think it's more of a director thing than it is an actual, like, something about the, the, what's going on. Yeah, but I also w- thought if Rhaenyra was subject to that same standard of being with Allison. It was a good thing she ran off. She would not be able to... I don't think she'd be able to deal with the fact that all She would have been like, her. I have to sit by my father. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. Which maybe... I don't think the episode would have worked with her being there still. Yeah. Everyone did what they had to do that fit with their character. Yeah. And then Allison also has a conversation by the fire. At this fire, I kind of feel like there's seeds of 
Allison turning against Rhaenyra here. And the reason why I feel that is because here, before this at least, Allison didn't really expect Aegon to ever be named heir. Because why? Like, yeah, he's a son, but Rhaenyra's been heir for so long. But then Viserys admits that he had a prophetic dream where he saw his son being crowned king. So now that idea that Aegon should be king, that, oh, the prophecy will be fulfilled, might be in Allison's head. That's why I thought it was very important to talk about because yeah. for Viserys, yeah, he's getting this all off his chest. He's able to be his full self. But Allison, to, Al to her, this is all new information that might change how she feels about Rhaenyra. Yeah. Because now her child really might be the, should be the one to inherit by the will of the gods. But if that is the case, it doesn't take much of a foothold yet because later Otto in King's Landing tells her, Aegon's going to be king. Like, we got to push for that. It's just a matter of how soon we make Viserys realize that. So go talk to your husband like I told you to every time and influence him my way. But Allison doesn't do that. What I, kn what I actually think is interesting is that he says by the laws of gods and men. Again, the idea of divine right, which she now has been told by Viserys might be true, is in her head. I think that our, that conversation they have, Otto and Allison, is Allison trying to, is she's in that tr problem of trying to figure out should she be try to keep winning Rhaenyra back or should she follow what she thinks is the prophetic future and support her own son. And obviously, Otto Hightower is pushing for prophecy, which he doesn't really believe. Let's He's pushing it. for his family. Yeah, that's over. Yeah. He doesn't know about the prophecy, but Allison does, which is another interesting thing because both Allison and Rhaenyra have their own prophetic things that they know about. One is the prophetic dream of Viserys seeing his son crowned, and the other one is the White Walkers. Yeah. And that probably is going to have conflict, because they're very different dreams that are very important to... Yeah, because Rhaenyra are. is the only one who knows the secret right now, but Allison has, like, this idea... And both don't know about the other one. Yeah, and they can't tell each other, because it's, like, sworn... It's almost... It's, like, a secret. Not even a secret, it's just... Why, who else is going to know? Well, I mean, Rhaenyra's is definitely a secret. No, yeah, but Allison only heard that from Viserys while he was drunk. She's not going to exactly tell everyone in the corner, oh, look at this. Well, she might, but I don't know. Yeah. And as you were saying that he Otto told Allison to go convince Viserys to go her his way. Yeah. But she doesn't really do that, as you said. Not at all. She doesn't do that at all. What she does is favor Damon in a way. It's, like, it's almost like what I got from it was, now that she's queen... She can take what her father says and do what she wants. Like she, she doesn't need her father anymore. Like way in the last few, two, in the first two episodes, her father's will was law. He was the nearest male relative. He had to do. She had to do what he said. Now that she's queen, what's he gonna do? He can't do anything to her. So if she's not feeling like doing something that she feels is against herself, she's gonna do what she wants, and that's what she does. I she does exactly the opposite of what he wants. I disagree. I, I didn't see that ha that's how it, the scene went. Really? I think she was playing a better game than we think. You think so? Because in the first episode we saw, not the first episode, in the second episode, we see Otto Hightower playing with the idea of Lane of Valarian. How he's like, yeah, it's a good match, but blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So he's agreeing with Viserys. He's getting that out. But at the same time, pushing for anti that subtly. And then, of course, we saw Lo Lionel Strong doing something that might be disadvantage to himself that will give him advantage. It might be what Allison's doing is trying to win herself. Look, see how much you can trust me? Like, I give you good advice. Oh, you think it's like he, she tells him what he wants to hear before putting in... Yeah, because I think he did want to help Damon. And I think she was putting in his mind that, you're do this. Look, I'm only here to help you. I'm a good wife. Look at me. I'm good. And then slowly pushing the idea that Aegon should be king. Aegon should be king. I think she's playing a different game wow. than we think. Cause she's a, I think she's becoming a player. I think she's emerging as a player. I see a lot of queen soft power here. Soft power. I think we've talked about soft power before. It's the, if, if, if you're just listening now or, or we haven't mentioned it before, soft power is basically the, queen, the power queen has, like pillow talk, like the influence that she can have on her husband because she's, she's with him more private than anyone else. Yeah, a queen doesn't have direct power. Yeah, she can't just make a law, but she can convince her husband to approve a law or himself make a law. And that might fit into Rhaenyra's mercy because what Rhaenyra has seems to have rejected the game where Allison's embracing the game. Yeah, I see that. And I don't, that will probably lead to conflict. And yeah. That's just my opinion on Allison. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I do think that she's playing a harder game where she's saying, do this and then earn his trust, earn his respect, get it done. I think time will tell on that one. 
with Allison's advice, Viserys agrees to send help to Damon, who is currently losing the war despite having two dragons on his side. Yes, I. He seems to only be using one at a time, though. Yeah, like kind of. It looks like how the war is going before is like they keep they keep one dragon circling while the other rests, and they change like almost like a, almost like a shift, like they changed shifts, but it's not working because these. Foreigners, associates, the triarchy. So the triarchy. I don't know. I would just gonna say it's Lice, Tyrosh, and Mir. They've united their cities into an alliance. Yeah, and they're using their influence to conquer. Yeah, they keep hiding in the caves, which is essentially going back to our older podcast. How Dorne resisted Aegon the Conqueror. I'm so glad I did that podcast on the history of Targaryen because it keeps coming back. And in this story, in the books, we know Dorne was an ally to the triarchy. So I do wonder if perhaps in the show version, if they're going to, going to say that Dorne is giving them advice on how to fight the dragons. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. Or maybe it's just the fact that the Triarchy is part of the Free Cities, which was once under the Valyrian Freehold, so they know about dragons. Maybe not. I don't know. It's a very good tactic, though, because Damon lands and he burns a lot of people, but it's not enough because they're just hiding. And in the dead of night, they shoot arrows, and it hits him. That was my favorite thing because we see... That he's not invincible because Daenerys was. In fact, Damon's in armor and he's more in more peril than Daenerys was without it. Yeah, and I love how Caraxes roared. Because we know that dragons feel the pain and the thoughts of their rider. Yeah. And we know that. And Caraxes looks gorgeous. Like when, when Caraxes flew away, I was like, that's a gorgeous shot into the night. Caraxes is beautiful and scary and deformed and everything. It has a deviated septum. Yeah. And you can hear it and it's so good. It was well, it was the open, especially the opening scene we're talking about. It was so well done watching how Caraxes just like torched it, but still was a loss. And I love, I also love this though, is that the subtlety of, yeah, this is a world with dragons because as we're seeing the war council scene, we see in the background Damon burning, but it's not even that big of a deal. It's just happening. Yeah. And they're having their council meeting and Lena is kind of running it. Lainor guy, but he's running it. Lainor and Corliss are running it. Vaymond's yeah. annoying. Vaymond is there just being master of complaints as as yeah. Lainor. Vaymond is Corliss's brother in this. In the books, I think he's his nephew, but it might be wrong. I think he's his cousin in the book. I'm not sure. Okay. They're brother but here. In yeah. this, he's his brother, and he is very complaining. He does not agree with anything that's happening. And Corliss shuts it down as soon as corrects these lands. Yeah, because Damon has a dragon. And can I just say Matt Smith really knows how to kill a scene? Like, he just walks over. And just stands there, and you feel like, whoa. I can't even put the words in it. Like, you feel the tension, I guess you can say. You just feel like, you're like, wow, what a performance. Like, you just get how, like, they all kind of like, oh, he's here. And then when the message comes, the music changes because Viserys' aid isn't something that Damon wants. It might be something he needs, but it's not what he wants. He wanted to do this on his own. That's what Kors convinced him on. We have to make our way. And now if his brother's bailing him out, he's not making his way. He's not going to be remembered in the songs, for yeah. instance. So then he shoots the messenger. Yeah, and not literally. He beats him. He beats him, but he shot him. Yeah. And you kind of see everyone go like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Too far. Yeah. And, and then guess, he walks away. And I guess Vaymond Valarian's kind of like, I'm kind of right about this guy. And then Damon does what we call a suicide mission. Yeah, lucky he survived. I think he meant to die. Well, not meant to die, but I think he thought Prepared he would. Prepared to? Like, yeah. Like, expected it? Because I like this... Not that I like this scene better than Battle of the Bastards, but I did like the fact that Damon was not invincible Better than in the battle. Three of the arrows he took. Yeah, because John just misses arrow after arrow in that battle, and I did think that was a bit of plot armor. And yes, plot armor was in this scene. I mean, he didn't have a helmet on, and it did miss him. But that doesn't. But he did get hit thrice. Did people say thrice? I'll say thrice. He got hit thrice, and then he fell, and then the dragon fire comes, and then he was bounced off, which I do like because it shows that dragon fire does have power to it. Yeah. It was, I say this battle stuff was well done, and it's only going to get better from here. I mean, there's not really much more to say on the battle itself. I mean, I like the tactic, like how, how he, like, Kravis, Crabfear kept looking up to the sky, because he kind of felt it was a trap, but the more Damon got close, he was like, the more he just kept sending people out there, because he was getting closer and closer. And then when Damon was wounded, he's like, oh, maybe this isn't some plan. He's wounded, and yeah. we got him, and, and nothing's happening. And we know that Damon is probably a very big foe to cat yeah. and kill. Yeah. So he's, that's probably something that he wants. And that might be why he lived, because he wanted Damon to... Yeah. To, he wanted to do the same thing he did with other people. Yeah, nail him to... Definitely. That might I, be why he was spared. Like I see that. And the other thing, too, is to go real quick, back to the night scene that case we're talking about, like, like Damon attacking him. They were shooting at Damon, not the dragon. Yeah, get because get the rider. Because 
dragons are wild creatures, but they kind of do their own thing. If they, I mean, I guess, but if demon died there, maybe correct to direct. But usually, when a when a rider dies, the dragon does its own thing and may, probably would fly away. I mean, if it matches demon personality, they might have made a big mistake there. It might have been enraged, but it might have died right there because it would have went too much. Well, into one of my one of my complaints with season eight was that John was not killed by Drogon. Whether it was a good character development thing or whatever, it's its own thing versus logic. I don't think that the dragon would have been happy. You know what? You're absolutely right. And again, with the invincibility of Damon on dragon back, makes me think of the Senya. Yeah. Who at the battle of the Field of Fire, she was shot in the uh, in the shoulder, which is something that the show ignored, as I said with Daenerys. Yeah, definitely. Anyways, so Damon looks like he's about to lose, and he get, he, he kind of does the Jon something where he's like ready to fight to the end. Yeah. And then Laenor and his dragon sea smoke, which looks like Drogon Paler, which I, I like that they kept one dragon looking like that still. And he basically just torches in a circle. He goes in a circle and the battle begins. The Corlys Valarian, the Valarians come out and start attacking and everything just changes. The trap worked. They managed to take out these triarchy people and Daemon runs into the cave. And my one complaint is that he kills him out of scene. But I understand why because... I'll say this, for in Fire and Blood, in the book, a, a basically, Damon kills him in like two seconds. It's not really an oppressive fight. It's done. It's done. And not even that. It's, in this version, he doesn't ha- even have a weapon. He just mm-hmm. has that hammer thing. So I think that he retreated. I don't think he was going to hide to fight. I think Damon just went and killed him. I don't even think there was a struggle. Yeah, I think he was killed in the fight. I, know, I think he was killed in a run, in a chase scene. So it's not, I, we're not really missing much. Anyway, it's, not like, it's not like we missed some boss battle that happened, but he just killed a guy. But it would have been cool because he kind of built him up, but... Uh, he didn't have any lines, Crab Feeder. Yeah, I know. Which makes... He was so menacing, too. Yeah, and there's no idea that he can fight. He kept sending men. He never personally went to confront Damon. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, most likely we didn't... We didn't miss anything too great. I just would have liked to have seen it. And then... But I, I also think the way the, with the direction, it worked very well at the same time. So that's why I didn't take too many off. I just took off, like, two measly little... Whatever it is. And then my complaint that didn't apply... That didn't really cost any points was that Damon was dragging the body of Kragis crab feeder yeah with his hands and with grayscale because yeah yeah so i thought that's kind of a little bit of a mistake but i don't think it necessarily is because disease and targaryens is very very complicated so we know that the targaryens are very sure of themselves that they are closer to gods than men they don't think they can get sick and we know that that's not 100 percent the truth because we know daenerys targaryen jaharis's daughter did die of the shivers and we know Miguel did die of grayscale herself his other daughter. <laughs> and But this is something in the books that Daenerys does say. Targaryens don't get sick. So it's something that the Targaryens are sure of, even well past the point that their dragons are gone. So it is something that I think Damon would just have the arrogance of being like, I can survive yeah. this. It just, I don't, this probably isn't going to come back. I mean, I wonder if it will. It no, probably it's not. Will. So I think that might be a little weird that it doesn't have any implication to it. Well, also, I'm pretty sure the hands of Kravis Kravir were clean. Like, they weren't. They were. They weren't, like. They didn't have grayscale so on you them. Have to, you have to touch the grayscale stuff, self, right? You can touch, like, ra- like. I don't know how it works. I'm pretty sure you can get away with, like, touching, like, non-infected skin. I yeah. think that's okay. And also, there, it could be that crab is crab theater, like it's like Shireen, where it's like it's there, but it's no longer. Well, it looked like it advanced between the last. Episode. I couldn't tell because we didn't really get much of actually seeing crab is crab theater in episode two, That's so true. I couldn't really tell. Maybe like in behind the scenes stuff, they'll say so, but I mean, not too much of a complaint. Basically, like I don't think it's gonna come back around, but I think you could. Ex- I think you can explain these things away, and that it's okay with me. But if other people take issue with it, fine. Yeah, you do you. And now Damon has won the battle he seems to have won the war yeah bloody just like rainier was bloody that seems to be a trend they've emerged more better for themselves yeah and i would also say that he almost stole the stole the show almost i'm not saying he did i think rainier was too good him and rainier are and like Viserys. yeah very yeah but he almost stole the show and he only had like 10 15 minutes of screen time and did i mention in those 15 minutes he didn't say a word only in the beginning I'm in shock right now. That's why I'm not saying anything. I'm like... He didn't say I a word. I have to go back now. We watched it twice at this point, but I have to go back a third From time From the now. moment that that council scene begins to the moment the episode ends, Damon has not said anything. Are you sure? Wow. Matt think about it. can Think act. about it. He just walks out, hits the guy, walks away, rows, surrenders, fights, battles. Not a word. 
Watch me watch, and he, uh, he's like five words. I know, that would be so embarrassing. We'll come back next week, like, oh, we messed up. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it was great, though. Like, very well done. Rings of Power. In between episodes two and three of House Dragon, we had a new show come along. The Rings of Power. I watched the first two episodes. You haven't, but I have caught you up on what's happening. Basically, other things I thought yeah. were. So I'll give my thoughts on what happened. Yeah, I don't intend to watch the show. As I said it before, I have a principle that I just don't want to support Amazon with Tolkien's works. Not necessarily Amazon with other shows like Fleabag, but this I feel like is more Tolkien really wouldn't have wanted. Not, again, I know Lord of the Rings, he wouldn't have liked that either. I know that. But I think there's a difference between a corporation such as Amazon touching his work. Anyway. Yeah, Amazon is essentially Sauron. Jeff Bezos is. Yeah, I, I digress. But I mean, you're a better person. More like Melkor, I think. Sauron's very different. Uh, we'll see. It doesn't. Either way, evil. But anyways, I was expected. I was on. What's the word I'm looking for? I was shocked by how good it was. It has its flaws. I give it the so far a seven out of ten, which is not really great for a Lord of the Rings adaptation. But it looks visually stunning. I think they need some work with the characterization and like the pacing of it. There were some parts where I was really bored. The Harfoots. I still don't get the point of them. I actually, I saw you on your phone, and I was like, aren't you watching The Rings of Power? Yeah, I did. And you, it, I, I'm ashamed to admit, though, but yeah. And weirdly enough, I actually like the stuff that Tolkien, the, the, the characters that Tolkien didn't even have, like Arondir and Bronwyn. That, I heard that was I'm the invested best. in them for some reason. I just, I, I'm looking back like, wow, I really like their storyline. And I don't know why. Is your rating for both episodes 7? Yeah, I mean, they're okay. both pretty much the same to me. I'll give it a 7.5. Sorry, I'll give it a 7.5. I'm going to rewatch it again to see if I get a better feeling of it next t- the second time around. But like I said, there were things I really liked and things I really didn't like. And my my biggest dislike is Finrod, Galadriel's so, brother. I'm well aware of this and I'm going to be the one to take talk yeah. about this because this one I complained about and I haven't even watched it. Finrod in the books is Galadriel's brother and he's a very good character. I He's one of my favorite characters in the Silmarillion. And his death was changed dramatically in the show. So in the books, he dies saving someone's life, who I won't talk about here for the sake of time, but it's a very big deal that he sacrifices life for another person in the first age. Before Mel- uh, Morgoth, I guess the show put it, defeat. So I know in the show that he died hunting Sauron well after M- Melkor died, or Morgoth. Yeah, he didn't die Melkor, but he, like you know, since he was defeated. Oh, I meant... Yeah, it's kind of hard to put it down. But not only that, but they kind of made it like a mystery. Like they have that mark in his body. So they make it more of like a thing. Where it's like They didn't have to do that last part. They could have easily had him die when he did and make Galadriel take it up. That's a very big deviation from the books. It yeah, changes a I lot. I feel like it takes away from it. But yeah, that's my biggest issue with the lore in terms but of the lore. Let me say this. Because I know I'm making a big complaint about a show I never even watched about Finn. And I don't have many complaints about the show in general. I just know that this one's one that I was very nervous about from when I knew Finn was in the show. And I'm, again, I'm not watching it, but I know. And House of the Dragon 2 does deviate from the story, but not in these ways that are so big a deal that it changes whole things, where I feel like this was not only something that was a very big change, but something that Christopher Tolkien, Tolkien's son, specifically asked them not to do, to change the storyline this dramatically. So it feels like they're already playing fast and loose with their own rules they were given. Anyway, I'll let you take the reins. I, 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 I'm I, silent. I, I agree with that. I would still say it was pretty good in spite of that. And I do understand why they make changes. Not that change, but other changes, because like, they don't have rights to a lot of things, which I means kind of like why make the show, but whatever. It's fine. I think it's going to improve, because once it gets to things that Tolkien actually wrote about, like the forging of the rings and other events, I won't spoil if you don't know anything about it, then it's going to really take off, and I think it could be really, really great. But as of right now, it's it's like, okay, it's not the best thing I've ever watched. I think House of Rings is a much better show, and I think it's a much better prequel. But I will let people decide themselves, because if you're more of a Ring, uh, Lord of the Rings fan, you'll probably like this better. And if you're more of a Game of Thrones fan, you'll probably like that better. I just think I'm in the other boat. I think House of Rings is just a better adaptation so far. and I'm looking, But I'm looking forward to seeing both shows as they go, because I think they're both going to get even better than they already are. Conclusion. That's all we have for this week. We'll be back next week with our review for episode yeah. four. I'm just happy that we did the history of House Targaryen too, because Lionel Strong mentioned his the daughters of Jaehaerys, and I know how they caused strife for, for Jaehaerys. And we've talked about Dela 
and Sarah, and we briefly talked about the Sarah. So I'm happy that I was able that there's some reward to that work. And real, going back to our Rick's Power conversation, I do really like how they have Ryan Condal has all the rights to <laughs> George Ryan's rights because like they can reference that stuff. Whereas in Rings of Power, it's very clear they can sort of reference it, but they can't outright say what they're referencing. Which is, I mean, I like the little hints and stuff, but they can't outright get into it. But here, it's very much they can do it. It's both shows very nerdy out. We we all win as nerds of fantasy to at the end of the day. But I just like House Train better, and I'm very much looking forward to next week to talk about it again. Yeah, so we'll be back next Tuesday. I guess that's when we air. We record Monday. We'll be back with our review for episode four, which the trailer looks really good for that. I can't... I'm already speculating on what's going to happen based on Fire and Blood, so I can't wait. And we love to hear from you guys, too. If you want to tell us your feelings with the episode, that'd be great. We're on Instagram. Do you know what our Instagram is? I forgot. Back underscore into underscore thrones back into thrones and if you like this podcast you know give it a subscription like it <laughs> make a comment a review nothing less than a five but <laughs> if you give it a five we'll we'll pull a on amazon and just make sure you didn't do it out of hate and just delete it yeah i mean yeah we actually can do that but i don't know how <laughs> i don't think there is there's no way to do it well amazon did it amazon's amazon's billions of dollars yeah but we got two <laughs> Hundred, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. You you go take it to the bank then, okay. But yeah, we'll be back in a week, and I'm very looking forward to what comes next. Bye, bye.